So that was good, right? What's that? There's a quote that says, uh, I shouldn't do this because I, uh, the, the me, I'm, I paraphrase, it's better than, the quote's probably better. The measure of a church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And so I'm encouraged uh, just to see people uh, go forth and Sherry today, and I'm excited. Uh, we as a church have taken part in commissioning Sherry to the mission God has given her. And so that puts a little uh, responsibility on us, and, and that's good too. We're responsible to uh, encourage, continue to encourage her and support her and pray for her as she goes forth. This is exciting, uh, I think, especially for Sherry. There's some fear, but I think probably I sense some excitement. Uh, there's just something about being given a mission. It resonates within us. Uh, that's, that's a mission. It's deep down in our heart. And so I believe God has designed us that way. Uh, this came very clear to me yesterday. I was playing uh, Pac-Man. I got this little thing and hooked it up to the TV. I'm playing Pac-Man with my little four-year-old grandson. And he's, he's, he's wanting to clear the, eat all those dots, if you guys remember Pac-Man. And he's just not, he's just not getting it. He's, doing, he's getting better, but he's not doing it. Any, and he says, Grandpa, I want to... I want to finish the mission. I, go, well, I don't know. Where did that come from? I don't know. And so, so you could just see it. As humans, beings, we need purpose. We want a mission. Our, we want our lives to matter for something more than Pac-Man. We want to be involved in something great, something bigger than ourselves. Uh, we need a mission from God. And as a church, as we, the church of Jesus Christ, uh, have been given... A mission like no other. Our mission has eternal significance. And that mission should resonate deep down in our hearts and our souls. At Bridges, we state our mission this way. So this is sort of a summarized. This is scriptural summary of our mission. The mission of Bridges Church is to glorify God by renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to the world. You can see the summary of the summary sort of on the the signs around the room. Our mission, if you're part of this church, yours and mine, if we decide to accept it, is to glorify God. How? By renewing lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and equipping people to bring Christ-centered change to the world. We shorten that, uh, sort of the motto, equipping world changers. Does that resonate uh, in your heart and your soul? Do you want to live your life in such a way that you see Christ-centered change come to the world? That, I'm sure, is what Sherry is hoping and praying for as she heads off to Nigeria. But the mission is uh, for more than missionaries. As a church and as individuals, our mission is to impact the world around us for Christ. We should see that impact in Riverside, and we should see it uh, beyond, all the way to San Bernardino even, maybe, if that's possible. I don't know. In our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, our places of work. But at Bridges, we believe that God has also given us a global mission. He's called us as a church to see Christ-centered change come to all peoples. 
That's what we're in the midst of talking about. Now, we realize we're just a small part of that, but we are a part of that. Last week, we focused on the fact that we are a missions church because we love a missions God. We love God's word that shows God's heart has always been to reach all peoples. And it commands us to be part of reaching the nations. We love God's world. God loves the world, and we love what he loves. The people in our world have great physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And God has chosen to meet those needs through his church. And finally, we love God's worship. Missions exist because worship doesn't. All peoples are commanded to worship God. But there are millions, if not billions, of people who give their worship to worthless idols. Missions is the act of worshiping God among the nations. Of declaring his glory so that all peoples can join in bringing God the honor and glory that he deserves. That's what we covered last week. Now this week, I'd like to continue to answer the question, why are we a missions church? And the focus will be on the fact that we serve a missions God. And let me just reiterate, in case you weren't here, uh, I'm not saying that we're a missions church and that makes us special. I'm saying every church should be a missions church. And it's unfortunate that some don't understand that. So the focus today will be on the fact that we serve a missions God. Last week, three reasons for why we're a missions church. Three reasons that focused on what we love. This week, I'd like to give three more reasons. These next three are based on on who God, who the God we serve has made us to be. This is who we are in Christ. So first, why is Bridges a Missions Church? Because we are God's workers. We're God's workers. And what do workers do? They work. Okay. They know their job and they do it. What is our work? What is the job of the church? Larry Reisner, in, this art, in his article, The Local Church's Role in Missions, says this. The primary purpose of the church is to glorify God, to worship Him. We've already talked about that. He goes, he goes on to say, further, the primary work of the church is to evangelize the world, both domestically and internationally. It is imperative for the local church to embrace and understand its vital role in God's global plan. In fulfilling its God-given task or work under His direction, the local church indeed brings much glory to God. So our purpose is to glorify God. And our work, our mission, is to evangelize the world. And it's through our work of evangelism that we fulfill our purpose of bringing glory to God. As people come to Christ, they move from the ranks of those who uh, are giving glory to created things, to idols, to themselves, to false worldviews. And they move into the the group, the camp, that gives glory to the one and only true creator God. God in his infinite wisdom has willed that our work, missions, is essential to our purpose of bringing him glory. Now one of the first things we ask people when we meet them often is, what do you do? What do you, how do you make a living? Where do you work? What's your job? Almost everyone has a job. 
And for most of us, our job is a big part of our life. You might be a, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a postal worker, a business person, a butcher, a baker, a candle stick maker, right? A student, that's a job. My wife, uh, when she's uh, talking about her students, sometimes she says, they don't understand. This is their job. This is what they're supposed to be doing. Student, and the most important job of all, the domestic engineer, right? You guys get that? Okay. In Jesus' day, they had jobs also. And two of the most important and common jobs were that of fisher, fisherman and farmer. And in both cases, Scripture relates these two jobs to the task of evangelism. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, we read, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Peter and Andrew were fishermen. Each day they would go out in their boats, they would set sail, and they would cast their nets in uh, parts of the, the lake, the water. Their goal was to catch fish. Their work was to fish. But Jesus said, in the same way you catch fish, I want you now to catch men. I want you to get up each day and set sail into the ocean of, of people around you, and I want you to cast your nets. Each day, I want you to pull those nets back in and see what you've caught. And notice that Jesus says, I will make you. We may be doing the, the work, but God is the one who gives us our abilities. God is the one who causes the fish to come into the nets. I would say this, uh, it's been my personal experience that there is no other time that I know that God is at work within me when I'm sharing the gospel with someone. I have, uh, I, as, as most of you know, I was a missionary in Thailand and I wasn't that good at speaking Thai, but there were times when I was really good and it was always when I was telling people about Jesus because God provided that ability. So Jesus uses the work of fishing as an illustration for evangelism. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul does the same thing with the work of farming. When Paul wrote this, this letter, the church in Corinth was developing factions. They were, if you can imagine, actually fighting among one another. Some said they followed Paul, and others said they followed Apollos. Kind of like some follow Cliff, some follow Sean. I'd prefer if you just follow Sean. It'd make my life easier. In this passage, Paul, in an effort to break up these factions, describes to the Corinthian church what the role of the missionary or evangelist, Paul, he's describing what they do. And in so doing, he compares it to the work of a farmer. He says in verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused, gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul was not a farmer by trade. I believe he was a tent maker a maker of tents, but he understood the principles involved. He knew that on a farm, 
If something's going to grow, seeds need to be planted and seeds need to be watered. The ground needs to be watered. And, he's, and he says in the same way, if people are going to accept Christ, someone needs to plant seeds. Someone needs to go uh, to where they are and tell them the truth of Jesus Christ. Someone needs to explain the gospel to them. If people are going to accept Christ, uh, those seeds need to be watered. Someone needs to answer their questions. Someone needs to teach them the Bible. Someone needs to give them examples of what it means to be a Christian. Also notice that the point of this passage is to let the Corinthians know that it's all about God as well. We're workers, we're farmers, but God causes the growth. Now in both, passage, both of these passages, there's no particular emphasis on cross-cultural missions, although Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. He was, in fact, a missionary to the church in Corinth. Whether we are missionary by vocation or not, we need to be involved in planting seeds and watering in the lives of those around us. As Christians, we are workers, and as such, we have a job to do. And that job is evangelism or missions. And you're, you probably have another job, many of you. Some of you are retired, and so you can just devote full time to this. Others have other jobs. But in the midst of your job that you get paid for, there's this overarching job, work, of taking the gospel to people, of catching uh, uh, men and women and children, of planting seeds and watering seeds. Each of us needs to be part of evangelizing those we come into contact with on a daily basis. But the church is also called to take the gospel to places where the name of Christ is not yet known. In the work of world evangelism, there are different roles to fill. Some roles involve getting on planes as hopefully Sherry will do, this visa thing. Uh, some, some have to cross cultural barriers, some have to learn new languages, and others don't. I've included in, in the bulletin a list of six ways to reach God's world for Christ. This is put out by OMF International, I believe. These are six different ways you can be involved in the fulfilling the Great Commission. I'd encourage you to read and pray through this list. Some of them might not be practical for you, but hone in. What are the things I can do? Seeking God for how you might engage in the Great Commission. And let's take a, a moment and focus on one of those. Let's focus on the importance of prayer, which is the second of the six ways to reach God's world. Let's focus specifically on Prayer for workers, for missionaries. Throughout his entire earthly ministry recorded in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as far as I can tell, Jesus makes only one prayer request. You know, we do prayer requests all the time. We have prayer requests from our missionaries every week. We send out prayer requests. Four Gospels, one prayer request from Jesus. Yes, the Gospels record that Jesus spent a lot of time in prayer, so I'm not saying he only prayed for this one thing, but this is his one prayer request. He called his disciples to pray, and he did a lot of teaching on prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, he gave us a form for prayer that we can follow, but he only makes one prayer request. And that's found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. 
And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the work laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus saw people in need, and he had compassion on them. And he responded with a call to pray, a prayer request. The harvest is plentiful. There are thousands of people, millions of people, waiting to hear the gospel. But the workers are few. Not not many workers are willing to go. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's the prayer request. Ask God to send people into the harvest field. Ask God to send people to meet the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of needy people. And where is the harvest field? It's across the street where your your neighbor doesn't know Jesus. And it's across the ocean where entire cultures, entire peoples have never heard of Jesus. Pray for workers to be sent out into the world. And since you and I are workers... Pray that God will use us in the harvest field. Pray that we'll be among the few who are willing to go. So first, Bridges is a mission church because we are God's workers. Second, we're a mission church because we are God's warriors. I just want you to know, three W's, that's what we're going to do, three W's. That was, I was impressed with myself, able to come up with six W words. Okay. Right? Okay, sorry. One of the most important things a missionary must learn, a cross-cultural missionary must learn, is the language of the people they're going to. It's kind of a bummer if you don't. Right, Sherry, that's key, crucial, right? And to do that, you need native language speakers to help you. You need people who will sit with you and teach you how to properly speak the language correct your mistakes. Now, one of the language helpers that Christine and I had in Thailand was a young lady named Odd. Here's a picture of Odd, low those many years ago, with my son Michael and daughter Beth, and her daughter, Mao. Yes, like a cat, Mao was her name. I remember saying to Odd, as she was teaching us Thai, in Thai, Odd I, I couldn't say this now in Thai. I don't know how I said it then. It was one of those God things. Odd, there's a battle going on inside of you. God is calling you to himself, but the enemy, Satan, is doing everything in his power to keep you in his kingdom of darkness. I mean, this is after lots of conversations. This wasn't just out of the blue, by the way. The next day, when Odd arrived at our house, after we had, we had we, we sensed the crucialness of this thing, and we had... We had prayed, we had called other missionaries to pray, we might have sent out an email to pray. The first thing Odd said the next day was, uh, the battle is over. And with slight fear in my voice, I asked, who won? She said, you did. I was quick to point out that it wasn't me who won the victory, I wasn't even involved in the battle. God had won the victory for Odd's life. Later that day, however, I realized that was, I was partially wrong. Yes, God had won the victory for Odd's life, but I was involved in the battle. 
Christina was involved in the battle. And every person who prayed for Odd was involved in the battle. Because we are God's warriors. And just to follow up on Odd's story, her life as a Christian in Thailand was, has not been easy. She was married when she came to Christ, and her husband has been less than supportive of her faith. But here's a picture of her 22 years or so later. She's remained faithful to her commitment to Christ, and she continues to teach Thai to new missionaries. It was a great joy to spend time with her just a, a few years ago in, when we went back to Thailand. So again, we are God's warriors in the battle for the souls of men, women, and children. And a crucial thing for warriors to understand is uh, this. This may seem obvious, but uh, if you're a warrior, then you're probably involved in a war, right? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul wrote, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the forces of evil in the heavenly places. Each of us is involved in this conflict, not an earthly war for land or oil or even physical freedom from oppressive governments, but a spiritual heavenly war for the souls of people and for the glory of God. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle Peter tells us this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As warriors seeking the salvation of souls, we must point them to the only place that salvation can be found. That's in the name of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul makes that clear, Romans 10, 13, where he writes, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel, the good news. Salvation is found in calling upon, trusting in, uh, uh, giving your life to Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is found in humbly admitting that you cannot save yourself, that only Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross has the power to save. Romans 10:13 says that salvation comes to those who call on the name of the Lord. And how does that take place? How do people call on the Lord? How do we engage in the battle for these souls so that they'll call on the Lord? Well, Paul tells us in the next verse, Paul answers that question by asking three very logical questions. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? They can't call unless they believe. Make sense? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? They can't believe unless they've heard. And how are they here unless someone preaching? They can't hear unless someone preaches to them, unless someone tells them. So from this passage, it seems our role in the battle for the souls of men, women, and children is clear. We don't need to die for the sins of anyone, not a single person. Jesus did that. We don't need to rise from the dead to demonstrate power over death and sin. Jesus did that. We don't need to convict people of their sin. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. What we need to do, however, is to go to the people and places that haven't heard and tell them about Jesus. And that's not always an easy task. In fact, it can be very difficult. If you want uh, to understand this, 
I mean, you can read, read the New Testament, read, read Acts and, and the letters of Paul, and you'll see the difficulty of Paul. It was not easy. But just pick up a good missionary biography. I can I think there's some recommendations even in that, that sheet uh, on the first part on learning. And you'll see that missionary life can be very difficult. And it can be very rewarding. That's why we need to remember we're not civilians, we're warriors. Paul makes this clear as he writes to young man uh, Timothy. He, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No good soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. There are three things that we can learn from this verse about being a soldier, being a warrior in God's army. The first is that warriors endure hardship. Warriors get the job done. They do what it takes to win the battle. Their life may, be, uh, may not consist of the same earthly pleasures as those who didn't sign up to serve. Warriors make sacrifices for the war effort. Second, warriors don't get involved in civilian affairs. Warriors are pretty focused, single-minded individuals. They aren't really concerned about the things that don't involve their war effort. And third, warriors stand, uh, the warrior's standard for success is what pleases his commanding officer. What does the captain want? As Christians, we're called to be warriors. We're called to fight the good fight. Our purpose is is God's glory, our battlefield is the world, our motivation is to please the Lord Jesus Christ, our commanding officer. And he's given us a battle plan. Go make disciples of all nations, he said. And our only response should not be, uh, why me? It should be, yes, sir. At Bridges, we understand that there's a battle for souls going on, and we want to be involved. We want to do our part as good soldiers. The part of seeing that the name of Jesus Christ is preached in every corner of the world. So Bridges is a missions church because we are God's workers and God's warriors. Now one final reason that we're a missions church, because we are God's winners. Woohoo! In his book, Serving as Cinders, Neil, Neil Perello says, says this, Those who go... And those who serve as sinners, sinners, that's not true, uh, senders are like two units on the same cross-cultural outreach team. Both are equally important. Both are dynamically integrated. Both are moving toward the same goal of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And both are assured success for those in God's work are on the winning team. We're on the winning team. How can I say that? How can I say we're winners when the battle isn't over? Because I've read the last book of the Bible, and I know how it all turns out. The book of Revelation is oftentimes difficult to understand, but some things are very clear. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we get a clear glimpse of heaven, something in the future. We read, After this I looked the Apostle John writing, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
What a great scene. The promise, if you remember from last week, first point, first W, God's word, the promise from our first glimpse into the word, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, God says to Abraham. That promise will be fulfilled. It's not a question of if, just a question of when. There will be representatives from every nation, tribe, people, and language in heaven. And what will they be doing? They'll be worshiping the Lamb of God because He took away the sins of the world. He took away your sins and my sins. In Philippians, we get another picture of the victory Jesus will have. Philippians 2, 9-11. Right before that, He talks about Christ's death for sin, giving His life. And then in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to be on his side, right? Every name, every tongue, every person who's ever lived will eventually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Unfortunately, everyone won't do it in time. Some, like hopefully most of us, will be able to say, in this life, Jesus is Lord with joy in our hearts. Others will, after their death, be forced to say, Jesus is Lord with regret in their souls. So victory is secure. All nations will be reached. All peoples will bow before Jesus Christ. So when will this take place? When will we see every knee bow, every tongue confess? When will we see people from every nation, tongue, and tribe worshiping the Lamb? You might think that we we can't know the answer to that question. And in one sense, we can't. We can't know the day or the hour, but we can know what needs to take place before this happens. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it gives us the answer. And it and it's really should be obvious. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. If victory involves, if the if the if the final scene is representatives, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue in heaven, then it only is logical to say, for that to happen. The gospel has to go to all the world. Then the end will come when the gospel has been preached to all nations. The victory will be complete when all peoples have had an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's the end. That's the end of history, and that's the end of this message. Almost. Let me just summarize what we've seen over the last two weeks, preparing us, I hope, for what we'll hear next week. There are two main reasons that Bridges is a missions church. First, because we love a missions God. We love his word, his world, and his worship. And second, because we serve a missions God. We are God's workers, warriors, and winners. Next week at our missions conference, uh, missionary over, over 20 years, 25 years old, getting to be, I don't know, a long time. Tim Driscoll, 
a missionary to Japan, uh, will help us continue to think about uh, God's mission, the mission that God's given us. I believe his focus will be on our motivation for mission, which, which is love. Love for God and love for people. I'd encourage you to come prepared to embrace the mission that God has given his church. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your heart. And I pray for us. Lord, we've looked at who we are. We've looked at what you've called us to be a part of. And I pray we would embrace that. I would pray for each of us that we would maybe take this sheet with the six ways to to reach God's world and we would read through it and we would consider what what part do you have for me? Let us not consider what's the least I can do, but let us consider what's the most I can do to see the gospel go forth, to see God glorified to the ends of the earth. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. And don't forget, uh, just one reminder to sign up to receive Sherry's uh, prayer letter so we can support her as she's in Nigeria.